0: Today on the Flex, we'll be crowning the winner of the Flex Bracket Challenge, taking a look at your national champion, the Baylor Bears, and how they got there, and analyzing this Providence roster as the changes for next season are starting to develop. Let's get into it.
1: That was a nice move by Pipkins, taking it right to the rack himself.
0: Wide open three, left wing, and it's good. Nylon, the dunk likes that, Matt. A three from the right side, and it's good! The one, Pipkins, the man, yet again. Hello and welcome to the Flex. I'm Matt Saint Jean. It's Joe Howie. It's been a while, Joe. Last time, last time we did this was before the NCAA tournament. There's been a lot of basketball played. Unfortunately, no Friars basketball in that time, but there's been a lot of quality basketball. Yeah,
1: Matt. Uh, it's been really nice to go almost a month of watching college basketball, and not. Becoming aggressively irritated at the television for watching just so many things wrong with this Friars team, except for Nate Watson. But we're back. It feels weird to be bo- to be podcasting again. I-, I mean, we haven't done this in a long time, like you said. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. We got a lot to unpack today. A lot yeah. happened.
0: Yeah, we'll start with a recap of our tournament group. So we did our flex uh, bracket challenge. Thank you to everybody that joined them. We had a pretty sizable group. The winner is Remy Lagarde. Congrats to Remy. He's a friend of ours, longtime listener of the show, listener of us at WDOM. And he had the Baylor Bears and narrowly edging Philly cheesesteaks who also had the (laughs) Baylor Bears. So Remy takes the top bracket. Congrats to him. He had Baylor over Gonzaga in the championship game. So, I mean, he picked that correctly. Of the final four, he had three of the four teams. Only missed on UCLA and had Florida State there. So, well done, Remy. Your mug will be in the mail shortly.
1: Yeah, uh, also a shout-out to Philly Cheesesteaks. That's actually uh, a good friend of mine, Phil. We had art class together. <laughs> God, that was two or three years ago now with Mr. J in the the old art business building that's, like, in the bowels of PC, like, in the back next to the parking lot that no one goes to but uh that's phil he, he we would talk about providence basketball during art class and his second prize as he suggested on twitter is a big head of me like the ones that you see at the dunk so we'll be sending one of those to phil uh not really because i don't know how to make those but that would yeah. be pretty cool
0: phil if you pay for it we'll send you one if you if you figure it you know, no. how about this if you figure it out then we'll split the cost with you
1: Oh, that—that's a deal, Phil. If you're listening to this, you might get a free big head, or not a yeah. free, but a half half-priced big head.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that building. Side note, we got robbed of our last uh, last couple weeks at school last year, and. I never got to go in the building you're talking about. There's a handful of buildings on campus that I never went in. And I had a list. I wanted to make sure I stepped foot in every building on campus. And when we came back from spring break, I was going to uh, make sure I ended up in all those buildings. Haven't done it. So whenever we end up back on campus, Joe, you're coming with me. We're going to all kinds of random buildings around there.
1: Okay. well, you can go in that building without me because high key kind of sucks in there. It just smells (coughs) like clay and. It's kind of really depressing. Some of the lights don't work in the hallways. You can tell, you can tell where the school ships the money. It wasn't in the, into that building.
0: It's lower campus. We know how it is. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're the Ryan Center. If you're on lower campus, it's a little bit iffy. Or but, Fennel. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fennel. Oh, my goodness. But yeah. enough talking about Providence campus. We do want to shout out Bracket, Sham Bracket. Uh, we don't know who it was that submitted that bracket. So if somebody wants to claim that, please I do. I know who it was. was. You know who it was.
1: Terry Sullivan uh, uh, for, you know, Casey Sullivan, the manager, right? Yeah. Casey Sullivan's a good family friend of mine. Uh, Terry Sullivan is a devoted listener to the podcast. He wins the name challenge bracket sham bracket. It's clever and, and it just sneaks up under your nose like God sham, God bracket sham bracket had to win, had to win.
0: Yeah. We so said we were going to shout out our favorite name. So there it is. Thank you for that submission. Thank you, everybody that played along with us. We're going to do this again next year. Uh, if we get more listeners, that prize might get a little bit bigger next year, too. Maybe it'll be more, maybe it'll be more than a mug. So maybe Remy's going to take home some additional stuff next year, or somebody can try to dethrone him. But you want to talk about the throne? It's the Baylor Bears sitting atop it after a dominant performance over Gonzaga, one that I did not see coming. I thought Gonzaga was far and away the best team this year and was going to run away with that game. They did not.
1: Yeah, Matt, I'm in the same boat as you. Um, As soon as Illinois got knocked out, I immediately shifted my attention to Gonzaga. I thought they were the the outright winner. I mean, it looked like they were going to pull off the complete undefeated season and then just walk into the national championship and take it home. It's only fitting that the entire season we wait for the Gonzaga-Baylor matchup and then Baylor upsets Gonzaga. But, I mean, they're both one seed, so you can't even really say it was an upset. And... It was wow. Out of the gates. Baylor went up what nine nothing. Their Something defense. Like their defense smothered Gonzaga. And Matt, it's we've said this we've said this probably two thousand times since November. Good defense leads to better offense. And if you want the picture perfect game of that phrase, go rewatch that national championship. Every yeah. second of it.
0: Yeah. And that was, I mean, everything clicked for Baylor and it started on the inside. It started with them just being athletically superior and getting off on the right foot. They got that lead. And this is something we talked about with the Friars, how the the plan of attack for the Friars is to try to build an early lead and then keep your opponent at arm's length the rest of the game. So even when they do make a run, even when they put shots together, they have to use up a lot of energy to come right back into it. The Friars hit one or two shots and you can extend that lead back out again. That's what Baylor did all night long. And Gonzaga, I think, got it down to nine in the second half. But, I mean, that yes. was that was it. I mean, Baylor just pushed them away, and they'd maybe get back to 10, 11, 12 points, and then it'd be 19 points two minutes later. And um, that yeah. was just... And that was a, this was a Gonzaga offense that eventually kind of found its stride, but it took a long time to get there. And they And they weren't ever comfortable.
1: They weren't comfortable, and that's a huge testament to Baylor. Um... I really, by the way, I hate the narrative going around right now that Gonzaga plays in a mid-major conference and that's why they lost. Gonzaga played some quality opponents this year. You can't really make that argument. What I will say is if Gonzaga had played quality opponents on back-to-back-to-back nights, back-to-back-to-back games during conference play, perhaps they might have been better prepared for uh, a really physically challenging UCLA game separated by a day between the national championship that's the only if i will entertain but other than that the the whole wcc argument it's kind of bs
0: yeah and it's like and you can't say gonzaga's out here not scheduling opponents Gonzaga scheduled Baylor. They were supposed to play each other in the regular season. It didn't happen because of COVID. But it's not like they're sitting back and trying to play as weak a schedule as possible so they can get into the tournament. This isn't college football. It's college basketball. They schedule tough opponents and they beat tough opponents. I mean, Gonzaga beat Creighton. I think it was pretty handily earlier yep. this year. Um, they they beat uh, the two, three, and four seeds in their bracket during the regular season. So this is a team. The, and I mean, everybody saw that game against UCLA, which I want to talk about. But that, that was an amazing game. UCLA is a really, really good team this year. They were an 11 seed, but the way they were playing in the tournament, fantastic. Gonzaga still beat them. I think Baylor's win says a lot more about how good Baylor was yep. than some kind of perceived weakness of Gonzaga. I don't think it diminishes Gonzaga. It's all about how good this Baylor team was, how athletic they are. and I mean, at the end of the day, basketball is about... It's about getting that ball in the basket. Baylor's just really good at hitting threes and maximizing their points on offense. And when you couple that with a defense that was one of the better ones in the nation all year long and the athletes that they have, that's probably one of the best championship teams in NCAA basketball history.
1: Not to mention Baylor lifts with their football team. I don't know. If if anyone saw that tweet, you'd understand what I'm referring to. I saw a tweet like, Gonzaga, colon, uh, we want to have an undefeated season, some stupid thing like that. Underneath it says, Baylor, colon, oh yeah, well, we live with the football team. I, I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. Because th- just physically, Gonzaga looked overwhelmed by Baylor. Yeah. And that's it's- a huge testament to the Bears and their training and, and just everything. It was completely shocking that performance
0: and coaching too. I mean, let's not forget Baylor did this to Arkansas. Baylor did this to Villanova. They did this all tournament long and they did it all during the regular season until they got COVID too. Until they got COVID and dropped two games, it was neck and neck. who was the better team between Gonzaga and Baylor. So I do. Now let's, I want to talk about this Gonzaga UCLA game though, because that final four game, I've watched a lot of basketball. No, you've watched a lot of basketball in your life. That's the most entertaining basketball game I think I've ever seen. It was, I think the largest lead either team had was six or seven. The, long, the largest run either team had was 6-0. The game was close the entire time. There was like 22 lead changes, something like that. And have it come down to a bank shot in overtime to win? That is forgetting all of the other ridiculous plays that happened before that. To end on that note... That's, I I tweeted after that we can we can we can end basketball now like we did it we beat basketball basketball's over we're not it's not gonna get better than this,
1: <laughs> a, a bank shot in overtime from like forty plus feet like that what that's not like a a corner or like a wing shot that's like a few feet across half court like Bill Raff, my favorite color commentator said. <laughs> There's onions, and then there's super onions with a kiss. A kiss meaning, like, a kiss off the glass. That was, one, fantastic call. Yeah. Love, raft, Great call. But, two, it, it sums up the shot perfectly. Like, it's the the onions on Suggs to just be like, all right, I'm pulling up from 40 feet, and this is going to go in.
0: Oh, my goodness, yeah. And then you go back. You look at the end of regulation. Gonzaga ties the game up. UCLA gets the opportunity for the last shot. Drew Timmy with four fouls standing in there to take the charge. Oh, that was just fantastic. Like the the guts that that takes to be in there to make that play. And it was absolutely the right call. It was a charge. He got in there. He held his ground. And then on the flip side, you have Johnny Juzang. He get, collecting his own rebound in overtime and putting up the shot to tie it with three seconds left. I mean, that, that slug shot doesn't go in. UCLA finds a way to win this. We're all talking about that play. That's the, yep. uh, and I, I'm going to gonna do it. Who's the, Who's the guy that hit the shot before Chris Jenkins? What? In the, in the national championship, Villanova-UNC? Oh, who, who hit that shot? Exactly. That's what's going to happen to Johnny Juzang now. Even though he made Wow, okay, I didn't even plays. know you were setting
1: me up there. I was like, wait a second, it was the guy the kid from UNC, right? Yeah. The off market shot page. with his with
0: it's his Marcus page. Yeah. Hits that ridiculous shot, and that's the one that doesn't go down in history because it it got overshadowed immediately. So
1: side note, my brother just walked into my room to get a water and he's mouthing to me Marcus Page. And I didn't <laughs> even notice that he was mouthing it
0: to me. Thanks, Jack. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Do we have any other last thoughts on this tournament before we take things towards the Friars?
1: Um, yeah, just a, a quick recap of Big East teams. Um, obviously, Connecticut out in the first round. I, I think Dan Hurley's game plan was so transparent. We're going to give the ball to Book and everyone else can go scratch. That didn't work because they double teamed Book Knight and they lost. Georgetown, um, I, I really, I personally, I put them in my Sweet 16. I think that was premature. They did a great job in the Big East tournament, but they were just, again, overwhelmed. First time in the in the big dance in a while. Creighton, Nova both made it to the Sweet 16, but both of them got cakewalks. I mean, Villanova fans, if you say they got a cakewalk, they get all chafed and irritated. You got a cakewalk. You played Winthrop and then North Texas. Those aren't quality opponents. So for Villanova to roll bo- through both of them, that's a cakewalk. Same thing with Creighton. And then they got the, the doors beat off them by the eventual national championship contenders. So... There you go. That's the yeah. biggest in the tournament in 30
0: seconds. Yeah. And this is a year where it was pretty clear who the top two teams were. And everybody else was a notch below that. I'm happy we got the matchup, especially after the first meeting got canceled. I'm very happy. Like, even though the game was kind of underwhelming, I'm still very happy we got to see it. It was still a somewhat entertaining game. Still a lot of fun to watch a team blow the doors off somebody else when you don't expect it like that. Yep. So shout out to everybody for making this a successful college basketball season i mean we're here it's it's so nice to have college basketball back now we have the unfortunate part which is the 200 plus day off season waiting for it to return but that's where the anticipation builds yeah the friars are gonna i'm assuming are gonna start play at some point in early november mid november roster is gonna look a little bit different then there have been quite a few changes since then. We have we have almost recorded a podcast to respond to these changes on a handful of occasions. And every time that we say we're going to, there ends up being another change before we can record. So we decided we're going to wait until things are a little bit more settled before we talk about this.
1: Yeah, that sums it up perfectly. I, I mean, what what a lot of people don't know is Matt and I text every day about college basketball to some degree, whether it's providence whether it's the the final four whether it's one shining moment like we text about it every day and this over the span of the past three and a half weeks we've almost recorded maybe 16 or 17 times yeah do you want to record no let's wait do you want to record no let's wait david duke basically had us uh, had me almost logging out of work at noon to record like that's yeah that's how how dedicated we are to this sport
0: (laughs) But we wanted to kind of wait to let the dust settle so we could see a fuller picture before we recorded. The, de- the dust is not fully settled yet. The roster is still in a little bit of flux. Maybe people leaving, maybe people coming in. This is probably not the finished roster that we're going to see in the fall. But we're going to keep doing podcasts to react as things happen. Let's first take a look at who's leaving. And this is a list that's going to be headlined by david duke there's three guys transferring out of the program we'll get to them in a sec but we can't look past duke here duke leaving for the nba signing with an agent and all reports indicating he will not be returning to providence he is leaving for the nba regardless of where he gets rated or where he gets drafted he's he's done he has seen his last game in a friars uniform what are your thoughts now that we're here on that joe
1: Ooh. okay um (laughs) I think the consensus across the fan base, the podcast, the program, the team, the coaching staff, was that David Duke was going to test the waters. I think him coming out saying that he signed an agent and that he will, he will be foregoing his NCAA eligibility was the biggest surprise to everybody. I mean, everybody. Um, obviously, as Friar fans... Graduate, don't graduate, leave the program, stay. We wish him the best. We want to see people from Providence succeed in the real world, whether that be a post-grad job or you go to the NBA. So obviously we wish him success. We don't want to see him fail. Selfishly, I I think I speak for myself, you, and the rest of Friartown when I say we really would have liked him back for another year, I I think especially because Watson and Horkler are coming back which, spoiler, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I think if if David Duke comes back, one, he's going to develop himself into one hell of a lottery pick, but two, he's going to leave a legacy in Friartown that NBA scouts will be drooling over. Uh, Like, that kid hasn't even played in an NCAA tournament yet. So, selfishly, yeah, we would have loved to have him back, but, you know, you got to face reality at some point and, and wish him well and move forward because there's no use sitting here and crying because he left.
0: Nope, it doesn't change the outcome. I'm I'm also surprised by it. I I was kind of 50-50 on whether or not he was going to leave. I think think Duke staying and Duke leaving, both sides have pretty reasonable arguments, and a lot was going to come down to what NBA scouts thought. I was very shocked to see him make the decision this early, but I can see why. The NBA values youth a lot. And if Duke makes the the strides necessary to become an NBA player at Providence next year, it may not affect his draft stock. He may not go up at all because then he's a year older and uh, he's already a little bit more of a finished product. So teams aren't going to value him as highly. You look for a comparison, look at a guy like Peyton Pritchard. He's a really good player at Oregon. Celtics drafted him end of the first round, and Duke is a better athlete than Peyton Pritchard, but it's a similar story. And that Pritchard came out as a senior after a very productive college career, and goes end of the first round. That's probably what you're you could be looking at for Duke next year. If Duke comes in and has a similar year, and develops a little bit, which is probably a reasonable expectation, then I don't think it moves the needle a whole lot on his draft stock. And if that's the case. Then, if he leaves now, he gets the opportunity to have the same development in a professional environment and making money. So, as tough as it is to see him go, I, I see why he did it. And like you said, we, we wish him the best. <laughs> you, I mean, you want to see him go give the Friars a, a good name on the national stage that only helps us get recruits in the future. And he's a good guy. I wish him well.
1: No, yeah. I, I mean, what he did for the Providence community, he... he had two fundraisers with uh, his co-students to, to raise money for local shelters and the people who are much less fortunate than those who attend Providence College, basically, in the Rhode Island area. So I think that's a really great thing he gave back to the community. Stand-up guy, great ambassador for the school. Um, just another note on development. I do think uh, a lot of times they, they, these players, and this isn't to single him out specifically, but a lot of these college players that want to go pro, focus a lot on the highs of their career and not so much on the lows. I'm sure he's heard a lot about what he's done wrong, and I'm not going to sit here and drone on about inconsistencies or anything like that. But I-, I think the, what was it, four 28-point performances as well as, God, how many 20-point performances, he definitely had had has the ability to play in the NBA now. I don't think anyone's going to debate that, whether it be a two-way contract with the G League or, Something along those lines. He definitely has the athletic talent to do that. I, I think where it co- what it comes down to now is where he will get drafted. Late first round, early second round, late second round seems realistic. I, I will say, to your point about youth, if he stays another year, regardless of senior junior, he would have been a lottery pick. I, I don't think that's up for much debate.
0: Oh, I would debate that because there's uh, four-year college players and seniors usually don't go that high in the draft, unfortunately. The the NBA would rather risk a guy who's unproven but athletic really high than a guy who who's a sure thing. That I think that's something we've seen. I don't think he would I mean maybe he cracked the top 15, but I think it would be very difficult for him to do, especially you look at the nature of the Friars offense and the way things run. If this team comes out with a similar scheme next year and Duke's going to be in the same position, even if he's a little bit better, you're not going to see a massive impact on the stat sheet. And I think he knows that. So, I mean, you, you could realistically see Duke's numbers go down next year if he stays because the Friars are a better team. I think he also knows that. So I think that makes things very difficult for him. This isn't like Chris Dunn, who is a top, top, top recruit. Dukes was just just inside the top 50. Those guys are not a guaranteed lottery pick or anything like that. So we'll see what happens with him. Obviously, like we said, we wish him well. Friars are going to have a tough time replacing him. But he's not the only guy leaving. Three other transfers, three bigs, Greg Gantt, Chris Monroe, Jimmy Nichols, all leaving the program. Gantt and Monroe both heading to North Carolina. Gantt to North Carolina State. Monroe to North Carolina Central. Nichols unknown at this point. What's your feeling on losing these guys?
1: Uh, I mean, when after that devastating, really embarrassing loss to DePaul, Ed Cooley uh, told the press that he told his team there were going to be changes. And at at some point or another, I think you have, as a player, you have to read the writing on the walls. And I think Chris Monroe was a great kid. I thought he had a lot of untapped potential, but if you're getting like three minutes a game and the coach says there's got to be changes, read the writing on the wall. Same thing with a guy like Greg Gant, because listen, was Greg Gantt a starter? Was he a 20 minute player? Yes, he was. Did he fit our system? The way we would have liked. No, it was it was a really poor fit, which sucks because I think Gantz got a lot of potential and a lot of upside. Mm -hmm. I I think Nichols was the biggest shock because he was he probably benefited from the most playing time and the most starts out of the three. Yeah, Uh, again, a weird fit because he's not necessarily a true power forward. He fit that hole in our lineup just because. Um, But again, when when your offense thrives on Nate Watson scoring in the paint, A guy like Nichols, who doesn't have the most consistent outside game, kind of gets lost in the shuffle. So it's understandable. The only thing, obviously, these three guys, you know, we wish them well going forward. The only thing I didn't like about these transactions was uh, Gant made a comment in some interview that he didn't have the opportunity to showcase his abilities at Providence. I got to disagree there. I think he had plenty of opportunity, but he just – Didn't capitalize. Saying it's a bad fit and saying you didn't get opportunity are two very different paths. It's a bad fit. Yes, a bad fit everyone can see. But saying you didn't get opportunity, well, I I don't know about that one. You got plenty of playing time. There were plenty of offensive sets called where you had the ball in your hands. You just didn't capitalize. But hey, maybe NC State's a better fit where he has the opportunities to capitalize on that. But I don't know. We wish these guys the best, um, but them leaving opens up scholarship spots for more guys to come in, which is a a good transition point.
0: Yeah, I just briefly Gant, he's a a guy who I I don't think fit very well with the Friar system, and I think he just needed a change of scenery. He's gone through a lot since he ended up in Providence, and sometimes you just gotta shake things up to figure out who you are. Monroe and Nichols, Monroe never quite found his footing in Providence, and, and he was a guy who was not highly recruited. So I don't think it's shocking to see him go to a lower level, get some more playing time. And Nichols, again, he started to find his stride not really a system fit. And I think it became pretty clear by the end of the season that this team needed fresh blood. Like you were saying, this guy, this team needed some new guys coming in to shake things up, to shake up the mentality of the team. But there's a there's a cap on the roster size. If you want fresh blood coming in, you need guys going out. These are the guys that had to go, and there's so some, some talented and good, potentially, at least good players in there. Sad to see some of these guys go, wishing them well, and hopefully the, the next wave coming in will be a little bit more successful for the Friars. So we talk about that. This is a freshman class that has three players in it right now, assuming that one of them is reclassifying. This was a big commitment the Friars got recently, Jaden Epps. He is a combo guard that can score like crazy This is something. The Friars need four-star recruit, very highly regarded uh, recruited guard inside the top 100. That was a big get for the Friars. There's also Rafael Castro, big man, six foot nine. He participated in the high school dunk contest on Sunday, I believe. Uh, he had a, uh, his second attempt, which is the only one they showed on TV. He got a little bit unlucky with the bounce. So it, it, Dunk didn't quite go his way, but the team likes him and Legend Jeter is a little bit of a diamond in the rough, is a guy who had multiple 20 rebound games in high school and just a physical tough player. He's a guy that I know that the team likes a lot. But those are the freshmen. And we don't know how much of an impact they'll make. We'll talk about them more in depth later. The real top the the peak of this transfer class right now for the Friars is Al Durham from Indiana. And I know you are very, very excited to see him in a Friars uniform, Joe.
1: Yeah, um, he committed on my birthday, March 30th. That was last Tuesday. So that was a really nice. Thank you. Thank you. That was a great (laughs) birthday present from uh, Santa Cooley over in Friartown. That was great. Um, He didn't send a card, but we picked up Durham. So I think it
0: it, it levels out. He knew it was your birthday and he wanted to do something special. Yeah, I think that's how it
1: works. But. Al Durham, Matt, I tweeted this out. It got a got a lot of attention. But the Luan Pipkins effect. This is something that we need. It's a transfer guard that's crafty, can score. This is a little bit of a combo guard. I wouldn't say he's a, a as. I, I wouldn't say he leans towards a point guard like Pipkins. Uh, if anything, he leans bigger, more towards a wing. Regardless, a, a crafty scoring guard that comes in for his graduate transfer year and, and makes some noise for the Friars. I think he will fit this role very nicely. Um, He torched us when we played Indiana in the Maui Invitational in North Carolina. So
0: (laughs) I'm excited. Just 2020 things.
1: Just 2020 things. The Maui Invitational in North Carolina called by Bill Walton.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was a trip right there.
1: Bill Walton, by the way, I actually think he's hilarious. Like, I watch a lot of his commentary videos on Twitter. Like, he, he eats cupcakes with lit candles and he just shoves it in his mouth he barks like a dog he makes weird alien groaning noises so i think it's funny if it's not your team but i was so irritated by the wa- <laughs> what, one by the way we played that game but two because he was just babbling nonsense the entire game and so i, I had to put it on mute at one point i was like i can't if, listen to this
0: if if i see that i have a twitter dm from you there's a 50 50 shot that it has something to do with bill walton regardless of the time of year or time of day. There's there's a 50-50 shot. You're sending me a clip of Bill Walton. (laughs) I mean, he had a a great time with UCLA and the Pac-12 in this tournament. But you talk about Al Durham. Yeah, he was a little bit inconsistent in Indiana, but he averaged over 10, over 11 points per game last year. He shot 38% from beyond the arc, which was, I think, six points better than what A.J. Reeves shot last year. He's an impact guy from the perimeter and from all accounts, everything I've read from Indiana fans they talk about how he's a team leader. and He is great behind the scenes and he works really well with the guys, which is, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that's something the Friars desperately need. And you combine that with the fact that A.J. Reeves has been inconsistent. You can have a slightly more consistent, slightly better three point shooting threat. That helps you replace Duke. And regardless of what happened with David Duke, regardless of what happens with the rest of this roster, it's pretty clear this team needed more scoring. Durham brings that. Scoring and leadership. <laughs> <laughs>
1: great, great, great transition point. Scoring and leadership, obviously a veteran guy. Mm-hmm. He, he's going to be a graduate transfer. Experience. He's a guard. So if he's playing in the backcourt, you got to be vocal. Leadership. But I, I think the, the highlight of the roster changes probably my favorite roster change it's not even a change really it's it's who's staying. it's who's staying um it's capped off by big nate watson the big man is coming back for his fifth year Matt, i I was ecstatic to hear this um i cannot wait to watch him play in person at the dunk again he's one of my top like top favorite guys to watch in person and i'm just so excited that he decided to come back that's huge for the program huge yeah. for him too with his development we'll get into that a, a little bit but he is the he's the highlight of this offseason roster shuffling whatever you want to call it
0: yeah and well i mean well we're going to get into it more as we get through the offseason but Nate coming back he talked about how he wanted to play in front of the fans one more time and i understand that one yep that's going to be a lot of fun to see him in a full dunkin donut center in the fall and his impact on these other guys, Nate, it was as far as we got, he and he and Alan Breed were the two guys that kind of helped get Al Durham. They both know him. And Nate staying is what convinced our, our number two guy here our notes to stay Noah Horkler. You're bringing back that four or five combo from your starting lineup last year. The guys that really lit it up at the end of the year and, and found their stride working together, the two roommates, yeah. running it back for another year getting that full Providence experience with the fan base and the campus and all that. And I'd be, and that's if we were going to lose Duke Watson and Horkler for next year, then this team is in dire straits in a lot of ways, bringing back some of these guys helps a lot for just the product on the floor for getting anything else. Yeah.
1: I mean, honestly, I think we're going to have to have our own podcast on Nate coming back because there's so much yeah. I want to talk about. Basically I'll give you the abbreviated version he said he's going to be. He's gonna try and change his game so he can stretch the floor. Defensively, I think that's huge. If you have a 6'10 guy matching up on some of the smaller forwards and wings, size mismatch, mm-hmm. he wants to work on his three-point shooting. I, I think it would be awesome to see Nate stroke a corner three. And also he wants to be the leading shot blocker in the conference. So I would love, 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 love if Robinson Earl stayed and went up for a shot and Watson just blocked the hell out of him because I think Robinson yes. plays out of position.
0: Can we can um, we do that? Can we have that happen at Dunkin' Donut Center so we can get the crowd reaction to it too? Oh my god. Or you know what? But, I would I would take that at Villanova and you just get that silence after. Well, if the
1: game's at Villanova it's going to be silent anyway.
0: <laughs> Villanova fun.
1: Villanova fun. Exactly. But anyway, Nate, we can go on and on about him. Really excited to see what he turns into because we saw the jump he took from junior to senior year. Very excited to see the jump he takes from senior to postgrad. Noah, I think he really turned it on at the end of the season as he became more comfortable in conference play. Um, he was a starter. He will more than likely remain a starter. And he was the 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 filler for the hole at the four spot. We tried a bunch of different guys. I think uh Nichols and Gantt were our two go-to guys. And you know, Noah got lost in the shuffle playing just seven minutes a game in the first half of the season. And then he was breaching the surface of a double-double every game in yeah. the final, what, six games, six, eight games. Yeah, He's going to be an every-game starter. He's obviously much more comfortable now. And with a full off season to develop, he should be one of the best stretch bigs in the conference next year.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget the fact he's the team's leading three-point shooter. Coming back, I mean, <laughs> they need the the stuff from the perimeter, and you laugh, but it was that was a huge impact for him.
1: No, you're Eddie
0: right. Raw late, so that's uh, where it's all right. I mean, if Reeves adds a little bit and Reeves is staying too, then as far as we're we're aware, if it's Reeves, Durham, and Horkler from beyond the arc, that should give you a little bit more of a presence than you had last year. At least in some ways. Obviously, Duke is a very good three-point shooter. He was the second best on the team. Statistically, they're a little bit worse next year, and you're counting on some growth from some of these guys. But there's some potential there. It shakes things up, which, like we said, you needed some, some fresh air in that locker room. You're, you're keeping some guys that are key leadership guys, and you're bringing in guys that are key leadership guys and who can score. So I, I think that that is a breath of fresh air. I think we do have to mention one other guy who's staying guy who really is a, a key cog in, in the machine in Friartown, has been for a long time, Andrew Fonts.
1: <laughs>
0: He's taking advantage of that extra year. He'll be back. Yeah. I, I need to see Andrew Fonts hyping up the crowd one more time.
1: Um, Andrew Fonts, the walk-on. Um, I thought he, he did a good job hyping the guys up and serving as a vocal leader in the Big East tournament game against DePaul. Obviously, he got a couple of minutes, too. He didn't really do much statistically, but uh, vocally, he was there, and he was present. But um, <laughs> I can't help but laugh. I mean, we're talking about our starting center and power forward coming back, and then we bring up the walk-on.
0: Um, hey, from the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster, we're keeping, guys.
1: I just um, <laughs> I want to circle back.
0: <laughs> to, yeah, yeah.
1: To, to AJ Reeves for a second. Um Yeah. In, in terms of guys staying, there there was there were rumors that Reeves would leave. There was not a real there was no real evidence behind it. I think people just get scared in the offseason for some random reason. AJ is going to have to be is going to be the guy that you want to watch the most. I guess I can't really we can't really watch him, but he's the one that should be developing the most in this offseason with Duke out of the picture and newcomer Durham in. Reeves should be one of our top, if not our top or second. Mm-hmm. He'll be one of the top two scoring options next season, which means he's really gotta to, to take a step up with respect to his consistency and his outside jump shot. Because yeah. a lot of times it was on fire and it looks really good when it goes in, especially from the corners. But a lot of times it was complete it was off. And when it was off, it was like completely off. It wasn't like, you know, it's like rim rattling, it was like air ball or brick.
0: Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to step up and develop for next year. He's not living in David Duke's shadow anymore. He's going to be a key part of this team, and it's pretty clear that he wants that. He wants to be in the spotlight. He's going to get that opportunity next year, so it's make or break. And this is a guy, I mean, A.J. can go to the league. If Reeves puts it all together, he can be an NBA guy, but it's been three years now and he hasn't done it. So if he's going to do it, I mean, this is it right here. And obviously, with all these guys, you kind of lose a year of development. So take that into consideration with him. But you're not going to lose it for next year. He's going to get the summer. He's going to get the fall to work on everything. And he's going to be the guard in a lot of ways that this offense goes through when it comes to scoring options. So again, pressures on him. But we got a long offseason ahead of us. We're going to have a lot of things to talk about. We're going to try to go into this stuff in depth as we go through the offseason. We have some some stuff in the works for you guys. But we're willing to take suggestions. If you guys have any questions or anything you want to hear us talk about, anything in Friartown, we're willing to talk about it. I know we had talked behind the scenes about going back and looking at old games, uh, either from this past season or going back a few years, talking about some older experiences, things like that. If that's something you guys are interested in, please let us know, because we'd love to do that stuff. And we're going to be keeping it up to date as we hear more news. We do expect. Probably some more changes with the Friars roster. They are still working the transfer portal, so they may be trying to bring some new guys in. If that happens, we'll be right on top of that to talk about how it's going to affect the team for next year, talk about anything else that changes in the world of college basketball. We'll talk about, I mean, there's been a lot of changes in the Big East, and we're going to have to get to those at some point. And before you know it, the weather's going to get warm. And then it'll start to cool down again. Those leaves will start to change colors. And we'll get that schedule that comes out. Find out who the Friars are playing next year. Before you know it, Friars are on the court. We're playing games and we're doing this podcast basically every night of the week again. It sounds like it's a long ways away, but I promise you, it's not as far away as it feels right now. That season's going to come up on us in a hurry. So make sure you stay with us here at The Flex. You don't want to miss a thing. It's the off season for college basketball, but it's not the off season for us. We'll be talking Friars, Big East, whatever you want to hear, all spring, summer, and fall. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at The Flex. Hoops, you can follow our personal accounts. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us wherever you're listening to this. Make sure that you can stay up to date with Friars content, everything in the world of Providence basketball. Joe, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we sign off here?
1: For you, it may be a, a short off season. For me, it's going to be a long one. <laughs> I, The summers always kill me, man. I mean, maybe it's because I'm coming off of a COVID quarantine summer, but uh, I mean, I feel like I spent the entire summer watching highlights from last season. <laughs> there weren't a lot of highlights from this season to watch, so I'm still going to be looking back at the 2020 season to watch highlights of Pipkins. But for me, it's usually always a long off offseason. Um, I'm excited to record the offseason series for the podcast, but... A lot of changes, more changes to come, and uh, go Fryers.
0: Yeah. Go Friars for Joe Howie. I am Matt St. Jean. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.